0: Apple presents events at the Apple Store. My name is Josh Horowitz. I'm with MTV News. And uh, thanks so much for coming out on this early evening. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, You probably know that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is upon us. It's opening this Friday. It is honestly such an awesome film. I have seen this film Yes, once for work, but yes, I saw it twice for pleasure. It's that good. It is amazing. And Andy Serkis is at the center of this film. He's reprising his role as Caesar. He's going to be out here in a second taking my questions and your questions. But before we get to all of that, we want to give you a little sneak peek at the film by running the trailer for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Take a look. yours I want to protect mine it's our only chance for peace are you aware no they are going to turn on you
1: they're animals Caesar you're all who was that a good man like you Caesar love humans more
0: than apes if you threaten his family he will retaliate
1: don't shoot! Don't you move? Should we shoot him? Maybe. Oh, hey, whoa. hey, hey, hey! <laughs> oh, you want a drink? <laughs> oh, all okay. right, okay. all right, easy, easy. easy. All right.
0: What are you doing? I'm saving the human race. <laughs> Military. They're already on their way.
1: C.G., you have to go. Go where this is
0: my home. Uh, as awesome as it looks, I think it might even be better than that. It's really a great film, and it's uh, a, a great pleasure to welcome to the stage uh, Caesar himself, a fine actor, an amazing performance, Mr. Andy Serkis. We're all fans. Hello. <laughs> um, Thanks for being here, Andy. This is exciting. Uh, this, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm in awe of this performance. You, you obviously, a couple years back, uh, took on uh, Caesar for the first time in this reboot of this franchise. Nobody really knew how good the franchise was going to be. Everybody was quite relieved that Rise was as surprisingly awesome as it was. And, and this is a much different film, though. About a decade has passed, and uh, the Caesar we find in this film, uh, it's a different world, and it's a different Caesar. Can you talk a little bit about... Where we find the world of the Planet of the Apes in this go around?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, basically, this starts with uh, where Matt Reeves, the brilliant director, Matt, came on to, to to helm this film, and and where he wanted to drop anchor with the story. He felt it was really important that uh, you know we know where this story is going to go eventually. It's going to be back at the original Planet of the Apes. The apes will have inherited the Earth, and you know this this part of the journey you, you could have gone quite a long way into the future. But Matt, what he loved about Rise of the Planet of the Apes was the emotional, the emotional journey of Caesar. And he felt that, you know, we, as we know that it's where it's going to end up, it's not kind of what gonna ha- what's going to happen, but, but how we get there. So he chose to drop anchor with this story 10 years, as you say, 10 years after Rise. And in this period of time, if you remember, for those of you who saw Rise, the pandemic that was spread... Um, has wiped basically since has wiped out uh, most of, most of humanity. There, there are pockets of human survivors, but but also um, uh, simultaneously at the end of rise Caesar had led this kind of rather disparate group of apes, orangutans, chimpanzees, gorillas from from rescued from zoos and and laboratories and and from the entertainment industry, and. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and led them up into, in, into Muir Woods and, and created this sort of utopian society. And that's where we pick up the story, is, is ten years on. The, the, the society has evolved. Uh, Caesar is, you know, he is now this statesmanlike figure, a lot older. He has, um, he has a family, he has a, he has a wife, he has, he has a, a teenage son, he has a council. Um, and and the society is working to, for, for, to a certain extent. It's working. The the apes are galvanised, and they have certain sets of beliefs that they're all adhering to. Ape shall not kill ape. You know, knowledge is power. Apes together, strong. These are all things that Caesar has passed on. Um, and then. And we're, as an audience, introduced to this utopian world. And, and for the first 15, 15 minutes of the movie, really, you're, you're in that world until the, arrivals of the, uh, until the arrival of the humans. And then we get to see a very different story. We get to see how difficult life has been for them. And, and they've come into the, the apes' territory to uh, basically to, um, to try and reactivate a hydroelectric dam. So that they can get power to the city, because of course, as you saw from the trailer, that, you know, humans can't live without power. So, so there, from there on in, Caesar is is hugely conflicted because of his relationship with humans, his past relationship with human beings, um, being so strong, being part of him. I mean, he's almost a human, he's almost half human in his mind himself. Um, so, so, uh, and then the, the the meeting up with the humans and and trying to find a, a his job really becomes about trying to find a peaceful solution to an an escalating conflict.
0: You mentioned how, and it is kind of shocking and so refreshing that the film starts the way it does in the first 15 minutes or so. It's really from the perspective of this burgeoning ape society. And, you know, if you remember Rise, James Franco, ostensibly the lead of that film, but kind of the sympathies kind of shifted as the film went along. And by the end, it was kind of like, oh, Caesar is really maybe the heart of that film. This film... Caesar is the hero of this story. Caesar is, I think, arguably where your sympathies lie, which is pretty astounding for a giant summer blockbuster um, to rely on you know, a performance capture uh, character at its heart to be the heart and soul of a film. That's gotta be a great badge of honor for you when you saw the story come together and knew that as much as Rise rested on your shoulders, this is Caesar's story, this is Caesar's film.
1: Yeah, I mean that. That again was 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 Matt. You know, Matt really wanted to make this story a kind of Caesar centric story because he 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 of what he'd witnessed in in Rise, and he just thought it was a great way of you know one of the things that Caesar has as a character is an enormous amount of empathy because he understands the worlds of man and the worlds of apes, and 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 so to this is this isn't a sort of uh, you know a kind of classic sort of post-apocalyptic movie it's it's there are there are huge elements of hope within this there's elements of 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 the fact that it may not end up uh being a war it may not escalate that way and and really and caesar is the conduit to that he becomes this sort of linchpin of trying to keep um you know with his relationship with jason clark's character malcolm um we, we we see that possibility and that that you know moment of before it all goes and dis- and disappears, and so so that was very much the the I suppose that the objective was that 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 um, yeah that, that Caesar is I suppose the emotional backbone to the story.
0: I mean, you put it well. As you say, I mean, it's kind of why the film is so tragic and so sort of compelling is because most of the characters, in fact, are trying to make it work to try to find a peace that maybe is just it's just inevitable that you can't have peace between human and ape, and it's it's, it's the sadness of the piece as well.
1: And, and I think that, that crucially, what's important about this film and why. I I think it stands out from you know I'm not just blowing our own trumpets, but but the fact that that um, there are no villains really and in in this piece you know it doesn't it's really not a biased film it's a really well balanced film in that you feel. Empathy for for the humans and their suffering, and 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 even um, the char- a character like, for instance, Gary Oldman's character, who is the leader of the humans, who you you could think, oh well, he's obviously the villain. You know, you see an enormous amount of tragedy and loss, and uh, er- yeah, every single character, whether they be ape or human, it, it, you know, has has things that they're trying to, you know, li- things they're trying to live for, things they're trying to forget, memories that that they were tra- trying to put away, and. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it is. It's all about... This film is very much about empathy and
0: prejudice, I suppose. Um, we have a few clips we want to share with you guys before we get to also some of your questions, so please prepare uh, your, your uh, questions for Mr. Circus as well. But the first clip I think we want to show comes um, relatively early in the film, and I th- believe it's, in fact, that first encounter where uh, apes have not seen the humans for some time and, uh, and it all starts to get a little tense, to say the least. Uh, let's take a look.
1: Don't mean any harm. They're apes,
0: man. Do you think they understand what you're saying? Do they look like just apes to you? Uh, uh. Dad, Malcolm, what are you doing? Dad, Malcolm, it's okay.
1: Go! Hey, hey. Okay, okay, we're we're going.
0: Caesar's a man of few words, but when he speaks, pay attention. (laughs) That's the lesson, I think. But it it brings up actually the end of that. That's what I'm like when I'm taking my kids to school. Go! Dad of the year. (laughs) Um, But it brings up an interesting question. I mean, you know, obviously by the end of, of Rise, there was very little speech. We were just getting the first glimpses of it. And I know that was a big question going into this one for audiences and probably for you guys is, how much can the audience buy? How much can you get away with? What's plausible? Can you talk to me a little bit about um, wrestling with that issue in terms of speech this time around? No,
1: sure. I mean, it was a it was a huge challenge because uh, you know we didn't we didn't want to suddenly have the apes being overly articulate and you know being able to you know chat away fr- freely. Um, the, the, the language had to be found, and so so basically, actually, the the, the process was we had um, we had an ape boot camp or an ape camp even <laughs> um, um, leading up to shoot which lasted for about three weeks and Terry Notary who is the performance coach who also plays Rocket one of the characters in this uh, you know who Caesars right hand kind of guy if you like um, he was responsible for teaching all of the actors and stunt guys and, and parkour uh, experts um, who became the ape community um, the, the, the ways of being, the ways of behaving as a, a chimpanzee or a gorilla or an orangutan. Um, and, then, and then we had to, as you point out, you know, we had to evolve the way of, of how they communicated. So we, we experimented with, um, you know, Caesar would have taught them sign language because he was taught American Sign Language um, in, the, in the first movie um, by his father. The James Franco character, um, and th- th- everybody knew their own individual ape vocalizations, and then we combined a sort of uh, a, a, an ape ified version of sign language, and then it, and then it was how they communicate, and particularly Caesar, you you know communicates vocally. Um, so that was all. We did these long, long improvisations, um, uh, sort of leading up to the shoot, and, and before every take, actually, we all used to s- sort of get into character by by uh, by communicating in some way.
0: One of the the huge leaps that I don't know how many people know about from a technological uh, perspective this time around is the performance capture. Uh, I believe for the first time is done in an environment, is done out in the field. Usually, performance capture—correct me if I'm wrong—is done in what they call a volume or a, a set. And and Matt Reeves wanted to go out and shoot out in the environment. Give, give me a sense of how different that was for you from your perspective.
1: Well, it, well, in fact. The, that's not quite correct in the sense that on in Rise we, we shot on locations as well, but were ma- the majority of the, the locations were sets, so we were shooting internally, we were shooting in the laboratory or the ape sanctuary or Will's house, or, you know, very little was out, outside. This. Um, this was all on location so that's that's the big leap it was it was taking all of that equipment um, and technology out into the rainforests of vancouver or or into new orleans in the middle of the summer you know it was like 100 percent humidity and you really didn't want to stand next to any of us wearing our eight costumes i I can tell you um it was yeah it was it was really pushing all the technology to the max and then you know of course the 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 one of the great things, and sort of technologically, that's advanced um, from from even from Rise um, was is is the facial the the ability for Weta, the visual effects company, to take our facial expressions and our all of our acting performances, and the way that it's now mapped onto the apes' face is just again in, in, improved to a whole other level. And you know, there were huge huge technological and and performance challenges all the way along. Yeah.
0: Is it, is it still unnerving or amazing for you to watch a finished product of after Weta does its stuff in terms of like seeing your face come through with their artistry, augmenting and helping, uh, you know, transfer your vision to see what they arrive at in the finished product? It must be fascinating from your perspective.
1: I mean, it's always mind-blowing to see what they've, they've done because it does improve every sing- with every single film. Uh, I mean, they are, they're incredible. They're all world leaders, I think, in, in this field as well. The, the field of the, the facial capture pipeline, um, the way that they interpolate performance, take the actors performances that we do on set and and, and map them onto the apes' faces is, is extraordinary um, but I, I I guess i'm I, I, to a certain extent i'm so used to seeing myself buried, buried in these kind of characters and, and I, the, the interesting thing is whether it's you know Gollum or, or, or King Kong or yeah, you know you can read you, I can read and my certainly my family and my wife in particular can read all of my facial expressions um, you know within any of these characters and that's a testament to, to the work that wetter does really yeah. um,
0: you know, we've we've alluded to this a little bit and as you can see from the first clip, it really is a, you know, Matt's described it almost as like a Western. It's like a showdown between the humans and the apes. We want to give you a sense of sort of the human side of the storyline as well and what they're experiencing in their own kind of base camp. This is a scene of uh, the humans gathering around and uh, assessing the situation. Uh, Take a look. You know the scary thing about them? They don't need power, lights, Heat. Nothing. Hey, pal. That's the
1: advantage. That's what makes them stronger. Malcolm, I'm thinking one of us should stand guard tonight. Wait, what? They took our guns. If (laughs) they wanted us dead, we'd be dead already. Maybe they're just taking their time. They already killed off half the planet already.
0: Come on. What? You can't honestly blame the apes.
1: Who the hell else am I going to blame? It was a simian flu. It was
0: a virus created by scientists in a lab. The chimps they were testing on didn't really have a say in the Spare matter. Spear me the hippy-dippy people you telling me you don't get sick to your stomach at the side of them? Huh?
1: I mean I think that speaks to to the point I was saying earlier about, you know, this is this is a really unbiased film and every single character's wants and needs and, and, and reactions to what's going on are, are voiced and, and sought after. And that's that's Matt Reeves as a director. He's you know, he is pretty brilliant. And 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 just to say one thing, when you're when you're making a film like this, the the, the pressure is really on you as a director, because you have two hundred and fifty crew standing behind you wanting to you know, make a spectacular summer blockbuster movie, and on every single day, Matt was was there with the actors, creating the most intimate uh, scenes. And among, amongst all of the spectacle as well. But but really, he knew what we were there to do, which is to tell a you know an honest and emotionally powerful story.
0: I'm curious. I mean, I was talking to some of your your co-stars about this too. From like the the actors, like uh, I was talking to Carrie Russell about this, who obviously isn't doing a performance capture scene, but she also has some unique challenges in that. I know, like when the human actors are working with um, a performance capture actor. You're also human, by the way. I'll call you a human actor. But, <laughs> but um, they have to do it like, essentially twice, right? They do it with you there, and then, explain this to me. You basically leave the scene, and they have to do it again, and you, you're often acting off-camera for their benefit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we, say we're doing a scene together, so we, we, we'd, we'd shoot, you know, the camera would shoot us both in the scene. Then I would, um, when Matt had got the, the the key performances that he wanted, then I would I would literally stand out, out of shot. I'd sometimes still be in the eyeline, so you could play to me. But, but they have to, in a sense, kind of act to a, a, a vacuum, thereby creating an empty plate, which we would then take the data from the performance capture and then drop that back in. And so so it's um you know th- so they have to be very good at remembering kind of what they do as as do the camera operators have to sometimes if they're doing shots of apes, you know they'll they'll follow us doing our performances then they'll have to mimic that, you know with the camera and get exactly the same timing without anybody there in which case, you know, uh, I would call out uh, you know Caesar's uh, crawl, you know he's he's walking across and then he's he's you know I I I could
0: Remember the timing and, and sort of call out the 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 action as it were. Caesar, I mean, we alluded to this a little bit in the beginning, but there's like there's almost a regalness to him this time. He is kind of like a, a king in this in this uh, small burgeoning colony. Um, I'm curious, like you know, in your approach to it this time around. I mean, how much how important is it to be quote unquote realistic to what you know in this fantastical environment? What would it be like if an ape? became sent, you know, sentient and became more human-like? And how important is it to just have your own interpretation and, and go off the map and sort of just imagine?
1: Well, it, it, I mean, obviously, we're in a world where we're using apes as a metaphor for the human condition. That's how they were always conceived. That's why they're so brilliant. These films and the book, originally Pierre Boulet's book, why why it's endured? Um, because we're able to say something about the human condition in a in an allegory. And uh, uh, you know, so with a character like Caesar, the tension was always between, um, yes, playing him as an ape, but 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 pitching a character and sometimes incrementally changing it, you know, gradually, finding moments. And this is what Matt was so great at doing and what we worked at together was finding it so it wasn't too humanized, it wasn't too anthropomorphized, it was it was exactly, you know, the right Level of of the ape and the right level of uh, you know human emotion or human thought or feeling, and that was really I suppose what, what um, you know again the challenges and the joys and 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 the and the and the, and the pressures of, sh- of shooting were about really for me.
0: And what you're describing kind of goes in, in tandem with the themes of the story in that uh, um, Caesar's kind of caught between the worlds in a way and, and some on the, on the ape side see him as almost a, as a, a traitor to his own people. Uh, one of which I believe is in this scene. This is Cobra, right? Absolutely. It's in this scene. So this is in another amazing performance by Toby Kebbell. Uh, you'll see this scene is, I guess, when we were talking backstage, this is kind of when things start to go really badly. But it's kind of an awesome scene. <laughs> uh, check it out. One more scene, then we'll get to your questions uh, for Andy Circus. What do we do? Uh, go!
1: Should we shoot him? Maybe. Oh. Oh, hey. Hey. I think he likes you. All right, all right. Oh, you want a drink? Give him some, man. See what happens. There
0: you go. Oh, whoa, oh, hey, hey.
1: Hey, hey. Okay. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. Oh! That's good, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Oh, oh, oh hey, 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 hey. Hey, okay, all right.
0: Easy. Easy. <laughs> Apes plus machine guns, not a good thing. Yeah, not uh, a good thing. <laughs> not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I believe we hopefully have some questions from you guys for Mr. Circus. Hi, Andy. Um. You? You're a very in-demand actor right now with, you know, Dawn right now.
1: And you're helping with motion capture for Avengers. And you also are a second unit director for The Hobbit. Can you
0: tell us anything about those movies, even Star Wars? And could you train me in motion capture?
1: Unfortunately, if I say anything about Star Wars, I'll be uh, taken by those two stormtroopers over there and, <laughs> and and executed. But um, I can say a little bit about... Um, uh, what can I say? I mean, the third Hobbit movie that's coming out this Christmas—that's going to be awesome as well. Um, that's going to be pretty cool. Um, um, well, just to say a little bit about Avengers, we've just been working with uh, Mark Ruffalo for for his portrayal of the of the Hulk um, in the in the new movie, and you know, it, he he's gonna—it's extraordinary actually what he's doing this time round. Um, and, and part of what we're doing, part part of. S- uh, working with performance capture for actors who, who haven't really used it, m- it much before is enabling them to really own their characters, you know, so to play the Hulk eight foot tall, to walk out on set when you're wearing, you know, basically a skin-tight pyjama suit, um, you know, and try and be this kind of uh, very powerful uh, beast is, uh, you know, it requires... It requires the crew to understand the process, it requires um, the other actors to understand the process. So we we kind of help actors playing characters like that by uh, spending time with them and their avatar character in a rehearsal space in, in our volume where they can see, like Mark could see the Hulk there and, and then we would add weights to him to give him a sense of weight and we'd give him speakers we'd give him this sound system which could modulate his voice and make make his voice go like three three or four pitches deeper and then project them out through big speakers which gave him real size and we gave him inhibitors under his arms to make to, to, to give him sort of the, the, the shape of the Hulk and, and it's all in a, in, a, in a process to make him feel that he can walk onto that set and, and deliver that Character so so that's the sort of um, that's a sort of part of the process that we uh, at the Imaginarium, which is the performance capture studio that I that uh, I, I um, uh, run in London with my producing partner Jonathan Cavendish.
0: Thank you. Hi Andy, how did you develop the voice of Gollum in Lord of the Rings? What is Martin Freeman and Ben de bash like from your point of view? And what is the Battle of the Five Armies going to be like from your perspective?
1: Well. Um, how did i develop the voice for gollum in lord of the rings well it, it was it was born out of t- two two things really well many things but but the but where the character of gollum carries his pain i mean he's called gollum because of the way he sounds so i wanted something that was like a an involuntary spasm something that was kind of like traps in his throat when um, when, when he speaks and why you know that sound gollum you know is so so it's it had to be something that came out of... Uh, something that he wasn't in control of. And, and I based the notion of Gollum on, on, on an addict, really, that he was addicted to, to the power of the ring. Um, but, but the physicality was driving his voice. So, so I actually also based it on uh, my, my cat, uh, Diz, who, who happened to walk into our kitchen while I was thinking about all of this stuff, and he coughed up a furball on the floor. And so that's how the, the Gollum sound came, because I watched him kind of go... <laughs> like that which then kind of went into <laughs> like that and that's that's kind of how that happened um Martin Freeman and, and Benedict Cumberbatch—they're both brilliant actors—and and, and, uh, you know I had the great fortune of of uh, directing some of Martin's scenes in in The Hobbit. Um, he's a he's a fantastically free actor, um, you know he's very very inventive and um, never does the same thing twice. He's brilliant and and a really lovely man. Benedict also incredibly talented and and, and so versatile and can play he can play anything. Um, so I love I love I love what they do. And then the Battle of the Five Armies is going to be just mind-blowingly awesome. That's all I can tell you at this point. It's just going to be. I'm not. Thank you. Hi there. I'm very much looking forward to this movie, and I was wondering, how do you prepare
0: to go into this character? Uh, what kind of research do you do? And then, what have you learned after going through this journey about the ape world?
1: Wow. Um, well, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a long question, actually. I mean, a long answer to, to a very succinct question. But um, w- the way into playing a character like this um, obviously comes from the script. It's inspired by the script. It was a brilliantly written script. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes was, and this was too. And it was all about character. it was all so the preparation starts by going, okay I'm playing uh, I'm playing this character that goes on this journey who who goes from inf- I'm going to play from infancy through to, 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 a, to a teenagehood where he's rejected from his from his surrogate father who is a human um, to, to leading a, a bunch of you know, You know, to try and engage. Then, once he's rejected by humanity, to try and engage with his ape kind and try and find a a way through that, and then galvanize them all and lead them to freedom. And then, in this film, pick it up and become a statesman-like figure and a leader. All of those things I could have played uh, as a human character. You know, the 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 journey on the page as the character was was brilliantly written, but it also happened to be an ape you know and so so that so so it's a combination of finding a physical language and a behavior and a physicality which is going to go on a journey with Caesar's emotional and evolutionary journey um so though the, so every single sort of twist and turn in Caesar's character is is defined by by that by by um by by that uh, by that but by, by that kind of rapid evolution which is so so uh, it was quite a complex um series of nudging sort of making acting decisions which were then nudged up or down as i say as to how human and how ape he was so it starts off from a physical sort of perspective and i based him on a real chimpanzee called oliver who is known as the human z in the in the 1970s there were a lot of experiments done on him he was believed to be half human half ape and he only stood he was bipedal completely and um he would sit down, he'd come into a room and he'd just sit down and, you know, pick up a drink and then start drinking and cross his legs. And he had very human facial expressions. And, and I thought, wow, this, this character is extraordinary. And you can see him on YouTube, actually. He's called Oliver. And there's a documentary called The Human Z. And, and, and you should check it out. So he was the touchstone for me for this character. Uh, Andy, how you doing? Um, Love love everything you do. And as the preeminent performance capture guy who is basically uniquely situated to evolve this technology with all the people you've worked with and will work with in the future, and being an actor, producer, director, what is it about performance capture that, or from whichever aspect, thrills you the most? And at the same time, are there any times where you say, gee, I just want to... Act or direct in a film that doesn't require this kind of technology. It's a, it's a great question. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, I, I happen to to to, to come into. Uh, the sort of performance capture at a time where it was just beginning to get picked up and understood and, and utilised to create these kinds of characters and I've, I've just had an, a most amazing ride with it and there was a tipping point I reached at the end of the three, the trilogy The Lord of the Rings where Peter Jackson asked me to play King Kong and I just suddenly thought wow this is extraordinary to go from playing that, that character of Gollum to now you know three and a half foot a, a ring addict and, and uh, you know <laughs> sort of schizophrenic uh, kind of character to, to playing a 25 foot gorilla and I thought this is just the most amazing liberating tool that an actor could ever ever wish for because you're, you're not stuck with who you are physically or, or what colour of your skin is or what sex you are even it's like you can play anything so philosophically from an acting point of view it is the most incredibly liberating freeing um, expansive, transformative way of working because you you you've, you're inevitably using parts of yourself in all of the characters that I play. It's not just while I'm playing an ape or I'm playing Gollum or I'm play, you know there are huge parts of yourself that that, that you employ and, and that you use emotionally that go into these characters. But it's a marriage of that plus being able to be completely physically altered and uh, and uh, you know visually altered so that so that so that uh, you can. St- connect some way along the line. But I'm, I've all, always found it easier to connect with characters that are further away from me. And some actors like to play characters that are entirely similar to them and or play versions of themselves. That's, that's not how I like to work. I mean, uh, equally... Um, it, I, you know, I, I I see myself going on doing this kind of work in, in with many other roles and directing and all the rest of it. I'm about to direct Jungle Book and pushing the art and craft of performance capture technology. But it's not the only thing I do. And I, I you know, I, I love to play, uh, you know, in, uh, I love to play more traditional characters in movies, and and I'd I'd like to do some more theatre. I haven't been on stage for a long time. So, so it's 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 really. It is one hell of an amazing tool, uh, which I a- adore and love and, and uh, am so thrilled and have been very lucky to be a part of its evolution, really.
0: Um, firstly, as a fan, I want to say without you, motion capture wouldn't be respected as it is today. So thank you for that. And uh, also, uh, what I want to know is motion capture is kind of an art form you creative of acting, in my opinion. Uh, what challenges does that bring that perhaps traditional acting doesn't bring to you? Well, you know, the thing
1: is really when you, when I think about it, I, I never really draw a distinction between characters I play if I was playing a live action character I'd uh, I'd think of uh, you know, the, the process would be exactly the same, i.e., for instance, I, uh, you know, it's about building an emotional back history to the character, uh, a physicality, a, a, a psychology, a, the running condition of the character, where the character carries his pain or, or anguish, or, you know, where how, you know, you, you, you build up a profile. And, and, and if you're playing a real person, you obviously do a lot of research into that person, or if you're playing an imaginary person, you base it on something real or something close to you or something that you've observed. And it, it, it's, it's a combination of Observation and, and, and many things, and then you, uh, and then you bring the character to life, and, and you work with the director, and you, you choose a costume, and you know you, you manifest it, and your face is on screen. I don't see any difference between doing that and playing a, a, a performance-captured role, uh, because you're doing all of those f- imaginative, uh, creative, uh, you know, actor choice and character build building. Uh, things that you would do it's just a different bunch of cameras that's recording you you don't wear a costume but that's really the, the end of it you know the processes are exactly the same um so so i, I think i think the thing that i hope most is that is that people's perception—and and it is changing the perception of it is changing as you said it has radically changed over the last 14 years or so um from being kind of totally misunderstood and, and I know, I remember when I was doing Gollum people thought I was a contortionist or I was a, you know, a dancer or, a, you know, or, or someone who could just do strange voices and, and and it's just like, well no, actually I'm an actor and, and this is, happens to be a character and, and I, my, my wish is that, is that it's, that it's, Un- fully understood by by i mean it's more understood by the punters than within the, within the industry to be honest you know go, you know most of you guys und- und- understand it because you you know you watch dvds and and you see the behind the scenes but there's there are still people within our profession who who are still afraid of it or don't understand it or or uh, you know particularly within the acting community so so i, I just hope that they uh, they uh, they fully understand how liberating a, a tool it is
0: well, you uh, you have been and continue to be a great emissary to performance capture, but also to the craft of acting in and of itself. This is a great performance, guys. Check it out this Friday when Dawn of the Planet of the Apes opens. And let's give it up for Mr. Andy Serkis.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. So